good Sunday morning. As we proceed into a new year, I think we might also be aware that it is more than just a turn of the calendar page. For many, this year 2021 represents a reevaluation and a new start on life. Many of us are rethinking the values and directions we choose. We wonder if maybe the last year with its many challenges may have given us an unusual gift, a chance to readdress and reassess, an opportunity to change our corporate and individual agendas, a chance to know God better and follow Him more sincerely. Today we will consider two important beginnings. We will think about the beginning of Jesus' ministry and we will also ponder the beginning itself when God brought light to humanity. Today we will consider the light we need now, the light of God's grace. This is nothing but grace. I sure do feel the need for grace today. Welcome to our worship time. Today on the church calendar is called the Baptism of Our Lord, the first Sunday of Epiphany. In our Bible lesson today, we will study the baptism of Jesus. This is a day of new light and beginnings, and so a second scripture reading, and one that is a favorite of many, is from Genesis 1. It starts the biblical text with these words. In the beginning, God. This is the second Sunday worship of the new year. My name is Chuck McGathy, and this is broadcast to you by First Baptist Church of Madison, North Carolina. Our prayer and hope for you today is that even in difficult life circumstances, that you will know that there is, in the end, nothing but grace. We believe in, and we try to follow Jesus Christ. He is our master and friend. We try to care about what he valued. Our Lord teaches us through his words and deeds. Having said that, I want you to know that we know that we have a lot to learn about being his followers. And maybe you do too. So you're more than welcome to travel with us. You are family, in fact. We believe we are all brothers and sisters, fellow children of Christ our Lord. I want you to know this morning, God knows exactly how you feel. Jesus experienced life with us that we might know our value in his eyes. Our God is with us on our journey, even as we experience pain and fear and doubt. Right now, there is a deadly virus, and it is still spreading. Sadly, it is not going to go away easily, and we are all in this together. 
Yet, even in a time of social distancing, we are still a unified people. In fact, I want you to know that First Baptist Church of Madison, North Carolina, is an inclusive community of faith. We look for ways to include everyone who is, like us, seeking to know God. Our traditions, our history, all speak of the love God has for all people and the respect and dignity we possess as his children. I want you to feel a sense of connection with your fellow travelers. If you want to learn more about our faith community, if you want to be included, you can. Let me help you do that. Find help for your spiritual life through the resources we offer freely. If you want, you can even contribute to support the positive, life-changing message we present weekly. Check out our website at www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison.org. We connect through radio, internet, email, mail, and even on Facebook. We want you to find the best way that helps you stay connected and supported in your faith in Jesus Christ. This is how we're doing weekly worship during this time of pandemic. I think it has been helpful for most people who listen week by week. We are confident, though, that this worship called Nothing But Grace will inspire your hearts, give you good news, and help connect us as a people of faith in Jesus Christ. Together, we are all on a journey, a pilgrimage of faith. Together, we will find our way through this crisis in safety and in love. Today, I will be sharing with you a message for the New Beginnings Sunday, traditionally called the Baptism of the Lord. The message for today is entitled, New Light for a New Day. You will also be hearing a Bible study from the Gospel of Mark about the baptism of Jesus from the Reverend Marsha McQueen. So stay tuned, listen with your heart and mind, and let God speak to you today. The importance of God's grace cannot be emphasized too strongly. In 2016, and in celebration of the 175th anniversary of First Baptist Church of Madison, North Carolina, a new Christian choral anthem was written by composer Pepper Choplin. Here is Miss Jane Scruggs directing the First Baptist Church Choir as they sing Grace Is.
Today, the sermon text is about light. Light is so important and so needed. I'm not just referring to the physical light of the sun, but of God's light. His light in our lives drives out a great soul darkness and changes everything. When the Genesis account was written, it was understood by its original audience as a message of hope. The Genesis message is still a beacon of hope. Listen to the first lines of the Bible, Genesis 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. The Bible is not designed to be a scientific textbook. The first four sentences of Holy Scripture make no attempt to be a scientific explanation of creation. In fact, the reality of a created order is never argued for in Genesis. That the world and all that is within it was begun by God is the starting point. What the author of these words puts forth is theology. In the minds of the ancients, the issue was not if a divine entity created the earth and how, but which divine entity created the earth and why. Genesis tells us about a single creator God who seems to have both love and purpose in mind for his creation. The book of beginning, the first book of the Hebrew Torah, which we call Genesis, offers an explanation that is timeless in its truth. Genesis offers an account of the beginning that differed in some important ways from other ancient accounts of the start of everything we know. Other ancient religions also taught creation stories, and if you look at these accounts from Mesopotamia and Egypt, you will see some similarities. But there are some elements of the Genesis account that are strikingly different from the other ancient explanations of the beginning. For instance, the biblical God is singular and does not compete with any other gods. In this account, human beings are God's special creation whom he both loves and is interested in. Thus, the author of Genesis offers a new and unique theological perspective on God and us which was not known in the ancient world. It was a revolutionary idea about God that brought new light to human beings. It still, to this very day, brings light to the darkness of our souls. Some Christians don't like thinking that much about the story of human beginnings. They would rather not read the books, go to the museums, or even watch the television science shows that challenge their interpretations of Scripture. Notice, please, I did not say they challenge Scripture, but that they challenge an interpretation of Scripture. The two are not quite the same thing. 
Ever since scientific minds first turned their attention on the origins of life and physical matter, many have felt that their very faith was threatened. But should that be the case? Methodist writer Jeff McElroy said, We read a text like the creation story in Genesis 1 as if it is claiming to be history or science in the modern understanding, when the reality is that this text cannot really be placed in such neat, clean genre classifications in ways that we would prefer, especially considering its poetic style. The author's purpose is not to outline history or a scientific theory, but to offer a poetic theological reflection on creation, on the nature of its creatures, and on the God who brought it all into being. The Protestants are not alone in this assessment of Scripture. Pope John Paul II clearly recognized the same problem when he shared these thoughts on science and Scripture. He writes, the, biblical, the Bible itself speaks to us of the origin of the universe and its makeup, not in order to provide us with a scientific treatise, but in order to state the correct relationships of man with God and with the universe. Sacred Scripture wishes simply to declare that the world was created by God, and in order to teach us this truth, it expresses itself in the terms of the cosmology and use at the time of the writer— any other teaching about the origin and makeup of the universe is alien to the intentions of the Bible, which does not wish to teach how the heavens were made, but how one goes to heaven. What then is the intention of this passage? The very opening words of the Hebrew Bible. What timeless message does it intend to put forth? Can a new understanding, a new emphasis stressed through this message bring us hope and light and the year 2021? How can we open the windows of our souls and welcome the light of God that drives out the darkness? One of the symbols of worship which we employ in our church happens on Christmas Eve. Traditionally, the lighting of candles carries a silent message. The light is a symbolic sermon. We dim the lights in the sanctuary and our individual candles are lit from the Christ candle at the center of the Advent wreath. Then one by one, we pass the light to each other until all people holding individual lights illuminate the entire building. I could, of course, say many things regarding the specialness of this moment, but words are unnecessary. The message of the light simply is profound in and of itself. Without using any words, we get the meaning of the light that shines in the darkness. Through the act of lighting a candle, we are reminded of the words of St. Francis, who said, Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Light. We so easily take it for granted, but we cannot exist without it. Not only does light enable life to exist, but its absence, even for a short while, profoundly affects our moods and mental stability. Just think about how hard it is right now to be cooped up in your homes in the darkest, most difficult time of the year. It is not just the weather that affects you, but it is also the darkness. That is why I want you to notice something very interesting about this light described in Genesis. This light it speaks of is God's light. 
God's light is mentioned in verse 3. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. The sun itself is not created until verse 16. In a poetic and theological way, the scripture actually says that God himself is the author of all light and is himself light. The sun was not a god as the polytheistic religion supposed, but a part of creation put in place by the god of light to give life to our planet. Think back for a moment to your days in vacation Bible school or perhaps Christian summer camp. When we were young, we learned the song, Jesus is the Light. The theology of that simple tune is plain and understandable. It is also thoroughly biblical. About Jesus, we are told that he is the great light that shines in the darkness. His birth was announced to the wise men by an unusual light in the evening sky above Bethlehem. Again, And again, throughout the Bible, are references to God invading the darkness. Ultimately, he marches straight into the inky darkness of sin to offer hope and life. This allusion to light is also true in Christian tradition. We do not know exactly the date that Jesus was born on. Our best guess is about 4 or 5 BC, in the springtime when the sheep were actively grazing. The early church in Rome chose December 25th. This date was important because they, wishing to acknowledge Christ's birth, also wanted to weaken the grip of paganism. The festivals of Saturnalia and the feast of the winter solstice were popular events in Rome, but prone to excess. Thus the Roman pontiff declared this time as the celebration of Christmas. By so doing, They established a Christian tradition that associates the birth of our Savior with the return of light in the winter darkness. As a Christian minister and as someone who has devoted his life to understanding the Bible, I have been distressed to watch through the years the unending war with science that many believers think is their right and just battle. Sadly, even now, too many of our fellow brothers and sisters continue to fight. It is not just an issue of the age of the earth or the existence of dinosaurs or their coexistence with humankind or the notion that both the planet and all life that lives upon it is constantly developing and changing, adapting to the demands of survival. Now we even see the consequences of a science-suspicious religion in how people respond to the warnings and counsel of scientists and doctors who urge the wearing of face masks and the acceptance of a vaccine. Some people, I know I've heard them, even go so far as to proclaim they have no need to worry because God will protect them. This is not every believer or every church, but it does describe far too many believers and far too many churches Unfortunately, outsiders to the faith quickly dismiss every Christian and every church as irrelevant and rather stupid. Hardly the church that Jesus commissioned to go forth and share the good news and the light. Perhaps even more tragic is why this happened in the first place. To be be blunt, many Christians for many years were taught to distrust and discredit science. Then by focusing on trying to make scientific the theology of Genesis, the intended meaning is obscured in irresolvable debate. 
instead of using the first words of the Bible to reinforce the hope we have in God's love and provision, the message that our Creator is the God of light, the meaning of the creation is deconstructed into an argument between scientific and religious propositions. This, of course, is quite unnecessary. Only a very restrictive and narrow interpretation of Scripture empowers such an unnecessary debate in the first place. Ultimately, we learn from Scripture the faith lesson that God is light and the creator of all that is. That is why our faith informs our science and our science informs our faith. The processes of life are systematic and God is the author of every stage of development. That's what the Bible says in its introduction. That is the message of Genesis to us. So you see, lost somewhere in the evolution versus creation, young earth versus old earth, dinosaurs versus no dinosaurs arguments, is the simple truth. God is light. In him we take our existence, and only in him can we understand our existence and purpose. Without him there is only darkness and chaos. In him is, as John the Apostle wrote, the very opposite of chaos, the Logos, the very Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Our days are often filled with darkness and fear. We do not know what tomorrow will bring, and the anxiety of the unknown brings us to our knees. Like a man tossing and turning on a hot bed through a dark and lonely night, we raise our voices to God and plead for answers. In our worry about tomorrow, we feel dread and abandonment. Hope fades and the feeling of impending disaster grows. Then the morning. Then a ray of sunlight pierces the deep darkness. Bit by bit it grows until we are confident that soon all darkness will disappear. Once again we recall that God is light and he has separated the darkness from the light. What do you need light for this year? Some might say financial help. Still others might say, I need help to find a job. Some may want healing in their bodies or in broken relationships. Still others may feel far from God and want to know him in a way that is truly meaningful. Maybe you want most or even all of these things. Where do you begin? The answer is just the same as it was for the first who heard it. In the beginning, God. Unless we begin with God, nothing else will make much sense. Genesis, however, is not a how-to book. Instead, it is a who-will book. Genesis does not tell you how to put your life together, but it does tell you who to go to when you are in the deepest darkness. Jeff McElroy, who I quoted earlier, cites the tremendous preacher Fred Craddock when he writes, one could easily be bogged down in the cosmology and the order of creation and all the details, but that is somewhat losing the forest for the sake of the trees. The most proper approach to this text is to speak like the text, or to paraphrase Fred Craddock, to preach the Bible, we need to preach like the Bible. The text is poetic, majestic, awe-inspiring, emotional, full of images and movement. To try 
and pare the text down to science or to pick apart words and phrases to focus on the trees so much that you lose the majesty of the forest does a disservice to the flow and rhythm of this kind of text. The light you and I need right now is God's light. He stands ready to show each one of us the way as we advance into the new year. What will it hold? None of us know. Not really. There may be pleasant as well as unpleasant surprises along the way. But one thing we can be sure of, with the light of God illuminating our path, we will be just fine. Let us pray. O God of light, we need you. Give to our frightened hearts the encouragement to try another day and the conviction that a new day will arrive. Let us be the loving and trusting folks who become light to a dark world. Infuse us with optimism and hope that draws others to see and trust you too. You are our light and in you is no darkness at all. We trust you with all our tomorrow. In Jesus' name we trust and pray. Amen. What have you been praying for this last week? Have you prayed for your needs or the needs of others? Have you prayed for justice? Maybe your prayers have included your community, your nation, and the entire world. Perhaps you do not even know what to pray, resorting to the simple, Oh God, have mercy! Whenever you do that, I do that a lot, by the way, do not feel alone. You are in good company. Jesus' first followers called the disciples felt that way too. They also needed help in forming the right words to express their hearts before God. So they asked Jesus to help them. The prayer that Jesus taught them has its scriptural source in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, and Luke 11, verses 2 through 4. The form with which we are most familiar has been prayed by the Christian church for centuries. Let's pray that prayer now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. In today's Bible study, we will look closely at the gospel of Mark found in the Christian scriptures frequently called the New Testament. Listen now as our pastor of spiritual formation, the Reverend Marsha McQueen, teaches our study. The next four weeks, our Bible studies focus on who Jesus is. And today we consider Jesus the Beloved. Today is the first Sunday of Epiphany, a church season that focuses on Jesus' early appearances. The word epiphany is from a Greek root meaning appearance or manifestation. The season traditionally begins on the 12th day after Christmas as a celebration 
of Christ's manifestation to the Gentiles, symbolized by the visit of the Magi, or wise men. Today's text is Mark 1, 1 through 11, and is about an epiphany, an appearance of Jesus at the beginning of his public ministry. Let me read our text. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized him by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. Mark begins his work with the quote, The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Most other translations use the word gospel to translate this Greek word that literally means good news and is the root of our word evangelism. In secular Greek, the word was used to proclaim the good news of military victories or to announce an emperor's birthday. In scripture, it is the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. We focus today on the theme of repentance, which is at the heart of both John's and Jesus' preaching. They both knew that it's God's desire to forgive all persons of their sins. They also knew that the gateway to divine forgiveness is human repentance. Mark's gospel does not include any sort of birth narrative for Jesus, as Matthew and Luke do. Mark begins Jesus' story with his active ministry, occurring about 30 years after the birth of Christ. We might wonder if folks who had experienced the Christmas miracles had forgotten that the Messiah had come. Things surely hadn't improved very much, 
and the Messiah born a generation ago had not become what they expected. Mark jumps right into Jesus' ministry, and the first chapter alone describes Jesus' baptism, his temptation, and his initial preaching ministry. But Mark insists that Jesus did not just show up one day out of the clear blue, but that John the baptizer introduced Jesus before he appeared on the scene. Neither does Mark tell anything about John's birth, but Luke does. Luke identifies John as a miracle child born to aged Zechariah and Elizabeth, relatives of Jesus' mother Mary. So Luke identifies him as having come from a priestly lineage. Luke also specifies that this John preached this baptism of repentance for forgiveness after the word of God came to him. In other words, John received a call from God to fulfill his role as the forerunner, the one preparing the way of the Lord as prophesied. John's appearance and his diet certainly attracted attention, even though he preached in largely unpopulated areas. His dress was that of a bizarre desert hermit, the writer says. Camel hair garments held together with a leather belt were much more rustic and coarse than ordinary dress, typically made of much softer cloth. Locust and wild honey might sound like a diet of desperation, but both of those items were fairly common to desert nomads. They provided both carbohydrates and protein. John the baptizer's looks, his diet, and his fiery sermons reminded people of stories they had heard about Elijah the prophet. These stories were kept alive in the Jewish faith because there was a common belief based on scripture that Elijah would reappear to herald the Messiah's coming. So John had a following of some whom, of whom he reminded whom he reminded of Elijah and of the prophecies of Isaiah and Malachi. Mark loosely quotes two texts to support his belief that John was fulfilling past prophecies. Malachi 3.1, See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me. And Isaiah 40, verse 3, A voice cries out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The prophet Malachi had specifically predicted Elijah's return. Malachi 4, 5, and 6 states, Lo, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents. This insistence that Elijah would turn the hearts of parents and children implies a coming call to repentance, precisely what John was doing when he took to the desert stage and started preaching. 
In verses 4 through 8, we learn of the message of John. John's message was twofold. First, he challenged his hearers to repent of their sins and to symbolize their change of heart through a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John's preaching was so effective and the eschatological expectations of his hearers so high that Mark spoke in an exaggerated fashion that people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem came out to hear John preach. When the invitation was issued, folks came forward in droves and were baptized by him in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. Within the Jewish community, baptism was a term used to refer to a ritual bath that was for purification and cleansing and a rite of initiation. John, however, proclaimed a strong relationship between repentance and baptism and began to call for all of Israel to submit to a radical baptism of repentance in preparation for the coming of the Messiah. This was something new. It was not just a ritual. John's baptism differed in that it was a once-for-all testimony rather than a repeated practice of purification, and it came at the hands of John, not by self-immersion. John's baptism was also different from previous baptisms in that it redefined the people of God. Not just sons of Abraham were baptized, but those of any nationality who truly repented. To John, repentance meant, meant a change in lifestyle, in one's values and priorities. To confess one's sins is to admit that one's life has been going in the wrong direction. Only then can a person truly repent, that is, turn around or return. The second purpose of John's teaching was to focus his new followers' attention on Jesus. And he hinted at this even before Jesus physically appeared on the scene. He predicted, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Matthew and Luke quote John as saying Jesus would baptize them with water and with fire. Fire reminiscent of the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost. What are the differences in baptism with water and baptism with the Holy Spirit? We've already spoken of the Jewish initiation and purification baptism and John's baptism of repentance. The lesson states, as John's baptism differed from Jewish baptisms, so Jesus' baptism would differ from John's. John baptized with water as a symbol of repentance and forgiveness, a metaphor of cleansing. Jesus' baptism would be no symbol alone, but an exercise of power 
involving the Holy Spirit. Together, John's and Jesus's baptisms would become a metaphor of death and resurrection, of new and eternal life, of the presence of God in the heart of the believer. In verses 9 through 11, Jesus appears on the scene. We don't know how long John's work had been going on, but it was long enough for him to develop quite a reputation and to establish a, a good core of disciples. At some point in John's ministry, Jesus appeared and presented himself for baptism. Though Mark does not mention that John objects, Matthew says that initially he did. Even though in Mark, John the baptizer had said he was unworthy to untie the thong of the sandals. John submitted to Jesus' desire to be baptized. Believing Jesus was sinless and had no need of repentance, believers eventually came to interpret Jesus' baptism as a means of solidarity with us humans. Dr. Cartledge says even as Christ proclaimed his humanity in baptism, God the Father then declared Jesus' divinity. Mark recounts the event from Jesus' perspective, telling us what Jesus saw and heard. In contrast, Matthew and Luke describe the divine annunciation from the standpoint of an observer. Today's text tells us that just as Jesus came up from the water, Jesus saw the heavens open and God's spirit descending in the form of a dove. Why a dove, we might ask? Dr. Cartledge, our lesson writer, says doves were used in the Old Testament as sacrificial offerings, and a dove helped Noah to find dry land, but neither of those really seem to relate here. However, a rabbinic tradition held that when God, quote, brooded over the waters in Genesis 1 verse 2, it was in the form of a dove. And another likened the voice of God to the cooing of a dove. For whatever reason, the Gospels insist that God chose the dove as a means of self-revelation. The most important thing, however, is not what was seen after Jesus' baptism, but what was heard. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. In this one brief act, God validated both the teaching of John the messenger and the identity of Jesus the Messiah. Jesus' experience reminds us that baptism is an important step in the life of faith. When we remember our own baptism, we're reminded of both John's challenge to repent and of Jesus' challenge to follow not just on baptism day, but every day. The writer asks, what else in your religious experience reminds you to repent and follow Jesus? 
I thought of communion, Lent, Advent, times of crisis. And you may think of other uh, religious experiences or worship experiences or life events that remind you to repent and follow Jesus. We're offered a challenge this week by Dr. Cartledge. He says this week, whenever you wash your body, take time to pray. Repent of your sins, pray for forgiveness. Let your time of getting physically clean remind you of your time with baptismal waters. Ask yourself, because I have confessed my sins and repented and been baptized, how shall I live every day? What kind of difference can I make today because I have been baptized? I have confessed. I have repented. I have offered my life to Christ. How shall I live today? Will you pray with me? Lord, we can so easily see that for which others need to repent. Help us to see our own sin, both what we have done wrong and the good we have failed to do. Awaken us to our need to confess, to ask for forgiveness. But God, above all, help us to get going in the right direction and live for you, following your example as we observe it in the Gospels, the books of good news. Forgive us, turn us around, lead us in right paths for your name's sake. Amen. Thank you, Marcia, for your excellent and in-depth teaching today. And thank you for tuning into this worship and study time today and every Sunday. We look forward to the day when we may once again reconvene in our sanctuary and broadcast or worship in our traditional way. In the meantime, stay safe, protect yourself and others in God's love, and as a witness of Christ, wear a mask, wash your hands, and get a vaccine shot as soon as you can. I want to send special love out to my 94-year-old mother who got her vaccine shot on Friday. She says it was great. Thanks also to all of you who are remembering this ministry in your Christian giving. We hope that this time of worship and Bible study is really a help to you every week. It helps bring you to the point of understanding that God has not abandoned you. He's with you right where you are, and He will help you get through. It is our sincere hope that through this weekly broadcast, you will find a stronger and better relationship with God. You can support this ministry through a financial donation and even donate online through our website. These words are all spelled out, www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison.org. Please remember to pray for others. And if God so directs you, give to help this worship broadcast continue. There's other ways to give as well. 
We have a bin in the foyer of our church office to collect supplies for the homeless in our area. If you are planning to make a donation, please drop off these items this week. The office is open Monday through Thursday mornings. All supplies will help and will be distributed by Home of Refuge. You may listen to this or any past broadcast by going to our website. Again, that is www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison.org. Write to us if you prefer. Please address your letter to First Baptist Church, P.O. Box 209, Madison, North Carolina, 27025. And when you do, let me know your prayer requests. Let me know who you are, and I want to lift you up in prayer personally. You can leave a voice message for me by calling 336-548-6112. You may want to send an email, so send it to cpmcgathy at yahoo.com. And it will help if you'll please note in the subject line that you are a radio listener. Also, don't forget to pick up the free sanitary communion to have on hand and a copy of Nurturing Faith Journal and Bible Study. These are available at the door of the church office located at 110 South Franklin Street in Madison, North Carolina. May God bring you hope today and every day in 2021. I'm Dr. Chuck McGathy, and I mean it when I remind us each week in the end, no matter what comes our way, there's nothing but grace. We will conclude our broadcast today with Jamie Slocum singing, God's Grace Changes Everything. Keeping life in